Hello, everyone. Welcome to the East Village Times Padres podcast. No James today, as he is currently busy with some work stuff. Uh, but Sammy and I, we wanted to record on some of the latest Padres news. Uh, Sammy, how are you doing today? Hey, Dom, doing well. Yeah, it's good to be here. You know, obviously, I'm excited to talk about the Padres. We're finally, you know, at spring training now. Spring training games are around the corner, and there uh, there have been some recent Padres news in, in the past few days and couple of weeks. So I'm excited to dive into that with you because there are some interesting moves to break down. Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday. Happy Valentine's Day uh, to everyone out there, too. Uh, Padres pitchers and catchers reported. Uh, the ones who are in the World Baseball Classic, and a lot of them are also already there just because uh, they, they want to go get the early workouts and uh, take advantage of the fact that they have a full spring training for the first time in several years. So I think they're going to take advantage of that. And some of the players are going to get shipped off, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about later. But the biggest news, or at least I would argue, is that the Padres signed an extension with you, Darvish. So they now have multiple like real starting pitchers that are have proven themselves at the major league level uh, for the upcoming years as you Darvish was set to be a free agent entering this upcoming off season. So this was going to be his final year of his contract, but not anymore after he signed a six year extension worth $108 million. It's front loaded. So you Darvish is going to make $30 million in 2023, uh, which he's uh, making $18 million this upcoming year as a part of his contract that he originally signed with the Cubs. And then after that, it's going to fade off a little bit. So let, let's get your thoughts, Sammy, about the fact that he's extended. And then we can talk about the contract and, and what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things come to mind, you know, like throughout the off season, we've kind of touched on it a little bit. We're like, yeah, the Padres, they have some rotation depth for 2023, but not really beyond. And then we also kind of talked about how AJ Preller and management was probably going to do something, you know, to try and either tie down a couple more starters longer term, go out and trade for some, he might still do that, but I like now that we have a little bit more certainty from the team saying, okay, we're going to extend you Darvish. We're going to have him front our rotation for at least the next couple of years. Um, I'm a little concerned that the deal is going to age poorly. I think kind of everybody is. Um, if there was someone that you were going to give a contract like this to, he's probably on the shorter list of pitchers that I would feel more comfortable giving it to. That being said, though, every case is different. I mean, he could blow out his elbow in a couple months, not come back until 2024, 2025, and the deal could look catastrophic, but you know, we're going to err on the side of optimism. I think it's good, at least in the near term where they're set up to win for the next couple of years, they have him there. Um, and then he actually went on the record saying, yeah, I, I took a little bit of a, you know, front loaded deal in order to try and help maybe keep Manny Machado around, which we can get into a little bit too, in his extension process. But overall, I think it's a good deal. I think it's something that the club, you know, will uh, reap some benefits from in the short term, but I'm assuming you feel the same way, you know, in 2027 or 2028, it's probably going to look pretty rough. Yeah. And I, I think that's the focus for the Padres was, Hey, we need to sure up the rotation for the next three to four years. And the Padres have some really good starting pitching prospects who won't be ready for the next couple of years. And then maybe they could help fill some of the voids or they'll probably end up getting traded if we're being completely honest, but I, you worry about you Darvish 
when he's 40, 41, 42, when he is 40, 41, and 42. The Padres are trying to win right now, and they didn't have to worry about that for this year. But going forward, the Padres needed to shore up that rotation. That's exactly what this deal does. Now, we had talked about it previously, and I forget where your stance was. I was on the side of wanting to extend Blake Snell, and you can let you Darvish walk. But obviously, uh, as a Padres fan, you're not going to complain about the Padres going out and trying to sure up the rotation for the next couple of years. And yes, I, I fully agree with you, Sammy. When he is 40, 41, and 42, this deal could really look ugly. But I mean, you also touched on it just a moment ago. He could blow out his elbow in June this season, need Tommy John surgery. And then already the deal is going to be looking bad when he's still in his 30s. So very risky signing, but I think it's a signing that the Padres really needed to make uh, extending one of the pitchers who has great relationships by all accounts with the players in the clubhouse right now, has a great relationship with Ruben Niebla and uh, Bob Melvin, the Padres manager. So I, I think it's a good decision. Uh, if you're skeptical about it long-term, I think that's totally fair, but you also got to understand that he is really getting this extension for the first part of the extension. And right, you mentioned right. it also the, uh, him being on the short list of guys that you could feel comfortable extending to those years in the forties, because by all accounts, he takes tremendous care of his body. He never pitches on short rest. Uh, he's very uh, specific with all the things that he does. He's very routine oriented. So I'd be far more concerned if they said, Hey, Blake Snell, you're 36, 37, 38. We want to extend you till you're 42 that would not be as good of an extension. Obviously, Blake Snell's not there yet, but you Darvish has a great track record of taking a great care of himself. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I mean, you see it in what he put up last season, and I believe it was his age 36 season. I mean, he really led the staff. He threw almost 200 innings, over 200 innings, if you include the postseason. Um, going back to our little uh, debate we had a few podcasts ago, who would you rather extend, Blake Snell or you Darvish? I was on the side of you Darvish. I didn't think that the extension would look like this. I was saying mm-hmm. maybe like a three-year, 75 to 80 million dollars, like, you know, no longer than like three or four years. Um, but yeah, I, I think that he has the potential to pitch like a Max Scherzer or a Justin Verland, or maybe not at that high of a level, but to have an effectiveness, you know, as he pitches into his forties. Um, and then something else we could probably talk about too. I think that this kind of signals that Blake Snell is probably all but gone. I mean, I could be wrong. They could extend him. They could give him an even bigger contract, but I mean, I I don't know. To me, it seems like this, the writing is kind of on the wall that he's going to walk. He's a Boris client too. He's going to be much more difficult to tie down. Um, And if he has a halfway decent season, I think he gets a lot of money on the open market being a left-handed starter who throws upper nineties, who has the biggest agent in baseball on his side. Um, Curious to get your thoughts on that too. Cause as you mentioned, there are a couple of pitching prospects that are in the pipeline, you know, Dylan Lesko, Robbie Snelling, arguably a long ways away, but yeah, I, I think that Blake Snell is, is probably gone and you, you, you'll look to fill that void in some other way down the road. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think at this point, Blake Snell is going to be pitching for the Padres in 2023 and that's going to be it. And Blake has turned in several key outings for the Padres when it's mattered most. You really hope that 
this upcoming year, both for himself and for the Padres, that he turns in a good first half of the season. And the second half of the season, he continues that because his first half of the season uh, for the Padres and also for the Tampa Bay Rays have, have been nowhere near as good as his second half. So uh, you'd like to see that from him, especially going into this contract year. But I'd agree. Uh, I didn't expect the Darvish contract to look like this. I thought it'd be more of a four, three or four year contract, but uh, no, no complaints for me. I, I think that this is going to really help the Padres over the next three to four years. And then the last two or three, it could be a little ugly, but I think that's a risk that the Padres are absolutely willing to take and they should take. So uh, any final thoughts on Darvish or Snell? Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think that, you know, there are some people that are out there that are kind of getting worried about like, oh, they're going to have you Darvish and Xander Bogarts and Fernando Tatis Jr. all sign until, you know, they're in their late 30s or 40s. But like we've said, I think we're on the same page. Like you worry about that when you get there. You know, you worry about 2028 20, in 2028. Um, I, I mean, this is the window where they can win. They're trying to do everything they can to maximize that window right now. And sometimes that means sacrificing the future for five years down the road in order to, you know, put, take advantage of the present situation. Um, and I think that that's what they're doing. I think they're, they've done a really good job of setting themselves up to have the best chance that they can give themselves to, you know, make a world series run, which is what we're all hoping for this year and, and for next year as well. Right. I mean, do you think that the Red Sox are regretting going basically all out to win that 2018 world series? No, right. obviously they'd like to be in a better place right now, but they got the ring. And then three years later, they were right back there winning the ALCS. So like it, it's all you got, you can obviously focus on the long term, but when you have that window seemingly open, you got to go for it and capitalize. So let's move to the news that happened today on Tuesday. And there were certainly some rumors flying around Monday evening that there was interest between the Padres and Michael Walker, but it's very rare that you see this quick turnaround like that. Padres uh, have reportedly signed him, signed him. We're recording this at two Pacific. So uh, no official announcement yet. It's pending a physical, but the Padres and contract, no details are known about this. We heard that he was asking for two years around 30 million, but he quote became more realistic with his offerings. And that's what allowed for the signing. Uh, curious what your thoughts are about this, Sammy. Yeah, I, I guess we don't really know too much in terms of the dollar figure. I've heard that there might be it might be a multi-year deal with like an opt-out or two, like what we saw with uh, Nick Martinez. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think it it does address kind of finally um, the 2023 rotation for the most part. I think we were kind of thinking that there might be one more piece that gets added. And I think Waka is that final piece, at least for the time being. It will be interesting to see how they go after things. If they deploy a six man rotation, if they, you know, put Seth Lugo or Nick Martinez into more of a swing role, I think this does increase the likelihood of there being a six man rotation, at least on the outset. Um, I know the team really liked it, uh, to, you know, at, at parts during the 2022 season, they had good success with it. Um, so yeah, I, I do like the signing. He was really good for the Red Sox last year, although he might've been deceptively good. I think yes. his, his overall numbers were better than what his peripheral suggested. And so I'm a little bit uh, conscious of that just because he had a really poor, I think 2019 through 2021 with, with the Mets and the Rays, he had an ERA over five. He did have some good years in St. Louis, but 
I, I'd be cautiously optimistic just because he can give you some innings, but I don't think he's going to be as effective as he was in Boston. Um, I could be wrong though. You know, he's only 31. So maybe he found something, but his, his uh, underlying numbers don't look all that impressive. No, they don't. And you can find those on baseball savant uh, baseball reference. Uh, his FIP was higher than his ERA and also quality of contact suggests that he should have been a little worse than what his actual stats were. But when you also think about it, he was pitching to the Boston Red Sox defense and they were like historically bad. And you look at this Padres defense and this defense should be, I don't want to say historically good, but like one of the better ones in the history of the Padres, when you're considering that they're employing uh, basically a four shortstop infield, then you have Fernando Tatis Jr. out in the outfield. Who knows what he is exactly going to look like. Trent Grisham is going to, uh, do a lot of damage out there in center defensively with the glove. And then who knows what Juan Soto is going to look like out and left. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But yeah, you, you mentioned it. The Waka underlying numbers suggest that he shouldn't have pitched as well as he did last year. But you, you talked about all those teams that he pitched for. Those were teams that typically get the most out of their pitchers. And like are analytically savvy, I guess you could say, with the Rays and the Red Sox. So it tells me that there's something there with Michael Waka that these teams see that they want to sign him. And it's hard to believe that he's only 32 years old because he's been around for such a long time. I believe he pitched in the 2013 uh World Series for the St. Louis Cardinals. And yeah, he was the he was the NLCS MVP in 2013 yeah. when they went to the World Series. And then I remember uh, he also pitched against the Giants back in 2012. I don't remember if he pitched uh, for the Cardinals in the 2011 postseason. I can obviously look that up in a second, but uh, he's got a lot of experience. So you really got to hope that he's able to hold up. But I, I think this is like a good depth signing. Like it's not just a depth signing. It's a good depth signing. And uh, I wouldn't expect uh, as good of a season as he just put up for the Boston Red Sox. But at the same time, if he can get the Padres 120, 130, possibly even 140 innings, uh, push up from a little bit of what he contributed last year, that's a really good signing. And the six-man rotation kind of scares me because I think it's a good idea. But the thing about a six-man rotation is that means you're carrying one less pitcher in the bullpen. And it's tough to do that if you have guys like Nick Martinez and Seth Lugo who have consistently not worked deep into games during their starting tenures. So the Padres need to be cautious of that. but. I think the addition of Waka is going to make that more likely. And if that is the case, you, you need to make the six man rotation because you're going to have two unhappy campers or one of two unhappy campers in Nick Martinez and Seth Lugo who signed deals with the Padres expecting to start because that's what the Padres told them they were going to do. It also gives you some wiggle room in case of one of your six starting pitchers, including Michael Waka go down with an injury because now you'd have, theoretically five starting pitchers. And we've also talked about it. The Padres also have guys in the bullpen and in the minors that could definitely start for them in some spots to assist with that. Ryan Weathers, Reese Kinnear, who hasn't been very good for the Padres, uh, Jake Room, who we've talked about. Uh, Adrian Marajon has started a lot in the past, and there's been some speculation that uh, Nabil Krismak could also be extended to a guy who could give you like four or five innings. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I think it like what you mentioned, it will be interesting because yeah, Nick Martinez and Seth Lugo, they agreed to deals assuming they were going to start. And I think like what we will see is we will see a six man rotation at times during the regular season, but there will also be points where they shrink to a five man rotation. And it's going to be interesting to see who moves to the bullpen, who stays in the rotation, what that role will be for the guy that does move to the bullpen. I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting, but it's nice to just have more options in general. You don't have to rely on Adrian Morahone, who might have an innings restriction this year as, as a sixth man uh, or a Jay groom or Ryan Weathers, any of those guys that are more for a guys than anything. I think the good thing about, you know, having this group of six is that while they don't all have experienced they don't all have experience starting at the major league level. They are somewhat all established major leaguers. Like they are consistent major leaguers. They perform at the major league level. I'd rather have that than throwing a rookie in there or Ryan Weathers in there and just say, yeah, like I, I I hope you give us five to six innings every time through and three or four runs. Um, And so, yeah, overall, I think it, it is a good depth signing, like you said, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. And at the end of the day, you have to expect someone to go down with an injury at some point. And this is kind of just more insurance on that end. Yeah. And so let's talk about possibly the positioning behind them, because we're starting to get more of the pieces of the puzzle that the Padres are going to want to do for this upcoming season. And of course, this is all going to be different for the first 20 games, but I don't think that's really the big picture. Uh, Bob Melvin said that they talked to Juan Soto and he is going to be playing left field this year which means that the right field spot is currently open. We assume that's going to be Fernando Tatis Jr. Along with everyone else, this this isn't some like EVT podcast exclusive thought, but uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's kind of what we were assuming throughout the off season. I, I don't think... I don't know. I saw some projections putting Tatis in left. I think that was kind of short-sighted. I think everyone kind of assumed that Tatis was the stronger defensive player. And typically you put your stronger defensive players in the outfield, at least on the right side and in center field. Um, I think generally the left fielder is usually the weakest defender. Um, and, and so I, I like having Tatis in right and Grisham in center. You put Soto in left. He doesn't have to worry about being as athletic or, or making the longer throws or stuff like that. I really like having Tatis out there with his arm in right field. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think we kind of figured that he was going to be out there just based on the fact that when he did play outfield in 2021, he was, it was a majority in right field, a little bit in center field. So I like this defensive alignment overall. Um, what I will be interested to see is because of all of the world baseball classic participation on the Padres, which we'll also get into a little bit. Um, I will be interested to see if in spring training Tatis gets more reps at shortstop, just because there's going to be no Xander Bogarts. There's going to be no Ha Sung Kim. Um, I'm assuming Jackson Merrill will get a lot of time there, but it will be interesting to see how the defensive alignment works itself out in spring training and then moves into the regular season. Um, but yeah, in the interim while Tatis is suspended, maybe we see Matt Carpenter out there a little bit in right field. Um, maybe we see Jose Azokar. It's only 20 games, but yeah, there's, there's still a lot of moving pieces and a lot to kind of consider um, when you look at it pretty in depth. Yeah. Matt Carpenter on right field really scares me and I'm sure it does for you too, <laughs> Yeah, but we'll, we'll talk more about some of the non-roster invites and uh, including some of the players who are on the 40 man roster that uh, will be in spring training in a little bit. 
But yeah, I mean, I agree. I think Soto's going to fit in and left really well. And Bob Melvin said, we're going to try and put him there every single day. So that way he can just focus on his hitting because the Padres gave up five really, really good prospects to get him. So you're going to want to make sure you get the best out of him this year, especially considering that the Padres don't feel like they got the best out of him last year. He was really starting to turn a corner uh, at the end of the playoffs right there when he came home to San Diego. And then when he went out to Philly, Juan Soto was crushing the baseball and he hit the ball hard in the postseason a lot. So the hope is that Juan Soto can return to like his elite form. And he also is the MVP odds leader for NL MVP. So like that, that tells you what the people who are putting their money down on the baseball season think. And I think that is important to value there. So Juan Soto and left Tatis and right. And we might as well move into talk about that with the uh, the Padres and their non-roster invitees. Uh, there's a lot of big names on there. Uh, you kind of already talked about it. Uh, Jackson Merrill is top prospect for the Padres. He is on there. Uh, Taylor Cowley and a couple other prospects are some big names as well, or some notable names. Uh, what do you think about uh, some of the rest of them? Yeah, I mean, just kind of looking at it, there are a couple of candidates that I think will see major league time at some point this year. Um, I mean, you look from the pitchers, like it's cool to see Anderson Espinosa back. Um, Craig Stammen will probably, you know, he'll probably be up at some point. Um, yeah, just kind of looking through. I, I think in terms of making the opening day roster, I think David Dahl has a decent shot at making the team. I think uh, Luis Liberato had a cup of coffee with the team last year. He might get some time in the outfield as well. Um, Preston Tucker, who, uh, you know, brother of Kyle Tucker, who we haven't, I haven't heard from in gosh, it's probably been years. Uh, it's probably been since like 2016 or 2017 since he was relevant, but it's interesting to see him in there too. There, I mean, there are, there, there are a decent amount of guys with established major league experience. I mean, you see Julio Tehran in there too. So it'll be interesting. I think if I had to pick one guy that'll make the roster out of spring training, it would probably be David Dahl, but I'd say probably somewhere between maybe five to 10 of these guys will see major league time at some point in 2023, be it, you know, just a game or two or some sort of established role. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. And especially, you know, one more thing, just touching on the catcher situation, all it is this year is Austin Nola and Luis Camposano. And past that, there is really not a lot of depth. Uh, I think Pedro Severino's name sticks out to me a little bit just because he is kind of that third guy right now. If one of those two is to go down, Nola played a full season last year, but he was injured a lot in 2020 and 2021. Um, Camposano, he hasn't established himself at the big league level yet. So the catching situation is like sneaky, something that I kind of want to pay attention to throughout spring training, because I want to see Luis Camposano's development, but I also want to see if there's a third guy behind those two, because right now it looks really thin and yeah, it, it's going to be a question mark. I think that will persist throughout the season unless they make a move for someone. Well, Sammy, it looks thin because it is thin. Uh, Pedro Severino signed a minor league contract this off season. That was notable. Same with Craig Stammen, Julio Tehran, who you already mentioned, uh, and Anderson Espinoza. Wilmer Font was also a notable minor league contract that was thrown out there, as well as David Dahl. Uh, Tirso Ornelas was also a Padres' top prospect at one point. Uh, his stock has definitely declined, but 
definitely a toolsy outfielder who the Padres could find needing. And if he plays well in his first uh, reps in spring training, who knows? I mean, Juan Soto is going to be gone for the World Baseball Classic. So that's an outfield spot that opens up. You mentioned that Fernando Tatis Jr. might be getting some time at shortstop that could open up some time for Nellis as well. So uh, I think those are some names to watch out for. Daniel Camarena, of course, Slamarena, who wasn't ever really a, an effective pitcher for the Padres, but a bullpen that doesn't have too many left-handed pitchers. I mean, you've got a couple more home, Tim Hill, Drew Pomeranz, who's supposedly healthy, you know, got to take that for what it's worth. Um, and then I'm blanking on the name of the Padres lefty that they got in the rule five draft. Uh, but they, they have some lefty arms. Uh, so Daniel Camarena could be a guy that if someone stumbles uh, health wise in uh, in spring training, he could be a guy that potentially makes the roster. Yeah, they actually have a decent amount of left-handed arms. Now that like you mentioned all those guys, like they have obviously Josh Hader. They have, I, I mean, I guess Pomeranz is supposed to be healthy going into the season. I'm going to be, I'll believe that when I see it. Um, but yeah, Morahone, yeah. Tim Hill. Uh, I think Jose Lopez is the guy that you were thinking about in the yes. Rule 5 draft. I could be wrong, but I think it's Jose Lopez. Be interesting to see if he sticks because he's another upper 90s lefty. So there are a lot of interesting options, but I do think that those last two or three spots are going to kind of be a revolving door, um, especially if the bullpen is relied upon for a lot of innings early on in the season with Nick Martinez and Seth Lugo in the rotation. You could be churning guys from El Paso just to get fresh arms up there. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how the bullpen situation shakes out as well. But I, I think you could kind of throw like a dozen to 15 of those guys into a bucket and say like, yeah, you're going to get some innings at the big league level at some point in 2023. Yeah. And then I think this is our last topic, but you can obviously correct me if I'm wrong. Here are the list of the Padres that will be in the world baseball classic, which is going to be in early to mid March. Uh, unfortunately, my uh, my radio club did not get approved for credentials for it. So uh, I won't be there broadcasting it, but since it's right down the street, I'll definitely be there to watch America and uh, some of the Padres players. So Xander Bogarts, who will be playing for the Netherlands. He's a part, he's a native of Aruba, which is, I believe a, a kingdom of the Netherlands colony. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but that's why he's able to play for the Netherlands. Miguel Cienfuegos, left-handed pitcher for Panama. That's obviously cool for him uh, being a Padres minor leaguer. Nabil Krismat's going to pitch for uh, Colombia. Nelson Cruz is the general manager for the Dominican Republic. Jared Dale, Padres minor league infielder, is going to be representing Australia. Yu Darvish set to be one of the headliners for the Japanese rotation. Jose Espada, right-handed pitcher, will be uh, representing uh P-U-R, I actually don't know. Oh, that's probably Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, Ruben Gallendo uh, will be playing for Colombia. Luis Garcia will be a right-handed pitcher for the Dominican Republic. Ha Sung Kim is set to be one of the highlight players for South Korea. Manny Machado will be probably manning the helm at third base for the Dominican Republic. Evan Mendoza, Padres minor league infielder, will be playing for Colombia. Jake Sanchez, uh, or Sanchez, as it's probably pronounced, right-handed pitcher for Mexico, another Padres farmhand. Juan Soto will be a corner outfielder or a DH for the Dominican Republic. Brett Sullivan, 
uh, will be a catcher for Italy and Julio Tehran will be for Colombia. So big list of Padres and that is going to open the door for some of these minor leaguers who are just going to be looking to get some extra reps firsthand in front of Padres uh, scouts and executives. And also it's going to be an opportunity for them to hopefully stay healthy and get more good reps against quality players in the, in the world baseball classic. But what are your overall thoughts on the Padres players representing their countries in the world baseball classic? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys, right? That's, I'd say, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'd argue that's as many as any organization in baseball. Um, I, I think it is cool that we have. So there, there are so many guys on this team representing so many different countries. Um, it will be interesting though, because obviously they're going to be gone from the team for extended periods of time. Like I saw a report, you Darvish is already in Japan getting ready for, for the world baseball classic with Japan's camp. Um, and so it is going to be interesting to see how they deal with all of those guys being gone probably through like mid March. I mean, some of them will probably be back sooner than others, but the world baseball classic runs, I think March 8th through March, like 21st or 22nd, it's like two weeks in like the middle of March. And you have to figure that at least a couple of the teams that the Padres players are representing are going to go deep into the tournament, right? Like the Dominican Republic is probably the favored team right now. Puerto Rico is mm-hmm. going to be strong. Japan is always strong. So, I mean, those guys could be gone for a majority of camp and with opening day on i want to say march 30th it is that that, that's only about a week for for these guys to really get acclimated back in peoria and kind of get up to up to speed with their teammates now they're all major leaguers or most of them are so i don't think they're going to have too much difficulty getting back up to speed but like you said and like we've touched on a little bit before it's going to open the door for a lot of different players to kind of have opportunities be seen by the major league staff and kind of see what they have in terms of depth because it's definitely going to be tested so overall i'm excited to watch it i'm excited to see all of those padres players representing their own countries um but i'm also going to be tuning into padres spring training games with kind of an increased awareness to see kind of what the depth options are and what the alignments are going to look like while all these guys are gone and if there's any good news for the padres the second round is formatted significantly different than what it was in the previous World Baseball Classic. The, the first round, your pool play is still the same. They just added an extra team to each pool. So you'll play four pool games instead of three. But once you get to the second round, it's one game and it's single elimination for each side. It's not like it was uh, back in 2017 when it was at Petco Park, where it was a second group of four teams and it was round robin. So where they played three games. So theoretically, there's only going to be four teams that play more than five games. And if you're a team like USA or the Dominican Republic and you drop that game in the second round, they won't have to spend more time away from the Padres, if that makes some sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I, kind of like that. I I, I don't know. I think that if, you know, obviously we hope that all these players return healthy and can make it back to the camp, but, you know, that – if anything, that limits the injury at least a little bit. I don't know. I mean, they're still going to be playing in games in March regardless. So like you could argue that the injury risk is the same, but it's interesting to bring up because there, you know, there are definitely some guys on some teams that will be coming back sooner than anticipated. And one other notable thing that I think that, uh, 
we didn't mention is the fact that there are no Padres that are on team USA, which is kind of an interesting little thing. Like Nick Martinez was yes. going to play for team USA, but then he backed out so he could build up as a starter. So I think that was just kind of an interesting little thing I noticed. Um, but yeah, I think like three or four guys on the Dominican Republic, another couple on Puerto Rico. So it, it'll be pretty cool. Yeah. Colombia as well, but Nick Martinez was going to be a reliever for right. that team on USA. Interesting now because Nestor Cortez backed out of the World Baseball Classic due to an injury. So maybe if Nick Martinez waited around, he could be that starter. Instead, they added Cal mm -hmm. Freeland, who, I mean, I think is not as good of a pitcher as Nick Martinez. And no. when you consider that, uh, just a, uh, a reminder for people who aren't too familiar with the World Baseball Classic or because it's been six years, these pitchers are on a pitch count, like enforced by the World Baseball Classic. So starters can, I believe, only go 60 pitches in round one, 75 in round two, and then 90 in round three, or at least that's what it was or around what it was. So like, you're, you're not going to be worried about seeing you Darvish throw a hundred pitches for team Japan, unless they make it to the championship, which that would be awesome for you Darvish. And they also might throw Shohei Otani for that game anyway. So, uh, and if you're also you Darvish, you might get to leave early, say he pitches in that round two game in in, uh, in Japan and Tokyo. And he's like, all right, well, I, I'm not going to start another game for this team. So I'll just go. He probably wouldn't do that, but that, that could be a possibility and something that they'll probably have to discuss uh, both with Darvish, Team Japan and the Padres. But yeah, I mean, I just pulled up the dates. Uh, Round one will conclude on March 15th if they're in Pool C or Pool D, which is USA, Mexico, Colombia, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, the DR. And then for Pool A, there are also some other teams that don't have any Padres players. Uh, there's the Netherlands, there's Cuba, there's Italy, there's Panama, there's Japan, there's Korea, there's Australia. So that that group will end on March 12th and March 13th as they start there a little earlier to give them some time to travel back to the United States after uh, the quarterfinals of the second round when they're on March 15th, March 16th, March 17th, and March 18th. The second two are in America in Miami while the early two are in Tokyo. And then the last date is March 21st. So yeah, those would only be a couple of teams that would be coming there, but Obviously, you want these players to go to the World Baseball Classic, get good reps, and win. But at the same time, if the key Padres get eliminated and they're healthy, I don't think you're going to hear too many Padres fans complain because every single Padres fan would rather these guys be healthy and playing well for the Padres than to see them win the World Baseball Classic. Now, best case in both worlds is that they play well in the World Baseball Classic, get to win it, at least some of them, and then come back to the Padres and play really well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think you hit it right on the head. I, it, it'll just be fun to watch them all, but yeah, definitely an interesting spring training experience. I think this is yet another spring training for the Padres that won't be completely normal. Like we talked about last year with Tatis and, you know, the lockout and all that 2021 coming back from COVID and everything um, 2020 with COVID. So another, you know, kind of weird spring training where you don't have all your guys in one place for a period of time. But like we've said time and time again, I think they'll be able to weather it. I think they'll be able to form into a cohesive group. Like when we had Scott Miller on, he kind of echoed that they're all veterans. They have a lot of experience. They know how to handle themselves. So overall my, you know, my worry for them, you know, gelling as a group and kind of, you know, getting into the swing of things to start the season is, is pretty low. I, I don't think there's much to really worry about there. Yeah. And you, you mentioned it, 
And I also just think it's funny that going back to 2017 in the World Baseball Classic, I remember being so aggravated that Jan Hervis Salarte was away playing for Team Venezuela, but he never saw the field. So he was literally just getting practice in. And I remember Andy Green also being really mad. So now it's funny, like thinking about how one Jan Hervis Salarte was like the big concern for Padre fans back in 2017. And also how like the Padres have like guys that are going to be headlining some of these teams and it could be even more so the case with Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, if he was able to play for the Dominican Republic, but the Padres and Tatis decided not to do that. And I would even argue that the 2019 spring training wasn't the same because Manny Machado, the Padres, I mean, essentially star at that point, didn't show up until partly through spring training because he was not a Padre. So it's been a long time and it's going to have to wait until next year for a normal spring training. So I think everyone's going to be looking forward to that. Uh, so, I mean, that was everything that I had planned to talk about. I know you mentioned some ideas before the podcast. Is there anything else we should talk about before we wrap this one up, Sammy? Yeah. Only thing that I had to mention was kind of what I touched on at the beginning of the podcast and that's the likelihood of a Manny Machado extension. I think oh, yeah. that's kind of become the focus now once since Darvish has gotten locked up, I think with him approaching free agency this year, it's something that is naturally going to be a question until it's answered one way or another. Um, he's kind of given every indication that he is going to opt out if it gets there and that, you know, the, the ability to come to a new contract agreement is, is, on ownership right now. He's said he wants to stay. He said he really loves it here. Um, something encouraging that I took away from you, Darvish's press conference was AJ Preller essentially saying, when we get star players in San Diego, you know, on and off the field, we're going to try to do everything in our power to keep them. I think Manny embodies every bit of that. I think that, you know, he's kind of the face of this franchise now. I mean, there's a few faces that you could argue for, but you know, he's kind of the leader in that clubhouse. And I think that, extending him is probably the next order of business for ownership. But um, there have been some things that I've seen where he's looking for an average annual value closer to 40 million. He's making 30 right now. I think that's pretty steep. If you're going to be paying him for the next 10 years, I don't think Peter Seidler would back down from it, but it's probably going to take, you know, another 10 years and maybe 350 million or 12 years and 350 million or something like that. It's going to take another contract similar to the one that he was given in 2019 for them to keep him. Um, and we've already heard that Steve Cohen in New York is probably more than willing to give him that. So it will be interesting over the next couple of weeks and, and months leading up to the regular season to see kind of what develops on that front. Yeah. I don't see why Steve Cohen wouldn't give out that contract. And I, I think it's going to get done. It seems that they're not really close on the numbers right now, but they were also reported to not be close on the numbers with the Joe Musgrove extension. And then that happened within a month of that report coming out. So I think it's going to happen. It may not happen before the season, but I, I really don't think Manny Machado is going to hit free agency and ever get the chance to opt out. If the Padres don't come up with an extension, he should absolutely opt out because he saw this off season, how much money he's truly worth, unless he has, an abysmal or an unhealthy season this year, he's worth more money than Trey Turner got, than Xander Bogarts got. Probably not as much money as Aaron Judge got, but he, he's worth that kind of money. He saw firsthand that he could get that kind of money and that the Potters are willing to pay it. So I don't see any reason why he, he wouldn't do that. And it just further uh, sets the point of why the Potters needed, they need to go after it this year. 
And then even if Manny Machado does leave next year, they needed to keep you Darvish around for next year while they still have Juan Soto because he's set to be a free agent after next season. So uh, I, I think it's going to happen, but it's probably going to be a waiting game. And the Potters have also shown the willingness to give out contract extensions during the middle of the year, like they did with Joe Musgrove. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. It'll be something that I'll be keeping an eye on for, you know, really until it happens or until a resolution is reached, but yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Right. And just a couple dates before we head out today is the 14th. Like I already mentioned on the 16th, which is Thursday pitchers and catchers will have their first official workouts. That's when all pitchers and catchers will have needed to report for the San Diego Padres. And then on the 21st, which is a week from today, next Tuesday, it is the full squad's first official workout. And then they'll have two days before spring training games officially get underway when the Padres take on, of course, the Seattle Mariners at the Peoria Sports Complex. So Padres games are within 10 days, and I cannot wait to listen and watch the games while I'm in class. <laughs> Something you don't have to do anymore. This is my final time getting to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I was in school, it was always one of the more fun experiences. You have like the spring training games, you have March Madness coming up. March is March is usually a fun month in, in the sporting world. And then you roll into yes. late spring in the summer with the baseball season. It's just you're off and running. Yeah. And then uh, like you mentioned earlier, opening day is on the 30th of March, a Thursday against the Colorado Rockies at Petco Park. It's probably already sold out and the Potters just haven't announced it yet. And uh, they also released single game tickets. How soon until all the Friday and Saturday games and even giveaway games are sold out. I mean, you have to, I, that was something that I was thinking about is like, you have to limit season ticket sales because they want to emphasize the single game tickets. I don't think it's that out of reach to say that every game this year will have every single home game this year will have an attendance of at least I don't know, 30,000. I think that that's yeah. a, even like the Wednesday afternoon games. I mean, you could argue that those are going to get at least 30,000. Those I are going to be the cheap ones. So. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think every Friday and Saturday night, maybe even Sundays will sell out. I, I like depending on who they're playing, obviously, but like you get like a good team in there or like, even if you get like, I don't know, like the Reds or something or the Pirates or whatever. Like, I think most, if not all of those games are going to sell out. My bold prediction, which might not, not even that be that bold for the season, is that the team is going to surpass the three million uh, fans or the three million fans in attendance uh, that they haven't broken. I don't think they came really close in 2004. They came really close last year to surpassing three, three or three million fans in attendance for the season. Um, I think they get there this year i think they set a new record um yeah i think they do it well it, i don't think they haven't set it at petco park they were so close they were uh, less than thirteen thousand fans away from doing it this past year and if they wow. would have done it it would have been at qualcomm but they could see like sixty thousand people there yeah. uh attendance i'm looking for a three and i don't see it so yeah they've never done that uh oh no they have in uh 2004 uh, which oh, is their okay. attendance record That's at Petco Park. But they never did that at Qualcomm, which is honestly kind of surprising, especially in 1998. They uh, only had only uh, 2.5 million people. So, yeah, hmm. I mean, I think that by the time the season starts, they'll have every single Friday, Saturday, and giveaway game, 
maybe not every giveaway game, but every Friday and Saturday game sold out by opening day. And they'll have every Dodger game sold out. They'll have every giant game sold out. They'll have uh, all of the Cubs games sold out, all the Cardinals games sold out because of course they travel. They, yeah, they travel. Like, I mean, we're, we're not going to shy away from that. They, they, they help fill Pepco less than they used to. Absolutely. But they still do. Uh, even with the Padres being good, they just had to jump on the tickets even earlier and, uh, they'll be able to stop using, especially Dodgers fans, the excuse of the Padres, uh, area coded, the the playoff tickets, which they were going to sell out like full of Padres fans anyway. So that excuse yeah. sucks, but Nothing you can consider there. Yeah. So anything else you want to mention before we hop off? No, I think we're all good to go. I think we're uh, the two of us and James are working on coordinating an appearance from a special guest, perhaps on next week's episode. Um, so I'm excited for that. This is someone that has appeared on the podcast before, uh, before I joined the podcast, but um, someone who I will be excited to talk Padres baseball about. So hopefully we get that guest on next week. And then from there, it's, you know, spring training talk. And then uh, we get into the regular season a little over a month from now. So exciting time to be a Padres fan. So I'm excited to ramp all this up. Yes. In two weeks, we'll be able to talk about some of the performances we've been able to see. And yes, that, that guest is definitely a big name who I know Padres fans like to listen to. I mean, I, I get the cur- the privilege of looking at the listeners per episode and this, uh, this podcast guest definitely generates some of the higher numbers we have. So we're looking forward to having him on and you'll have to tune into the next episode or potentially some future episodes to find out, but that's going to wrap this podcast up. This has been episode 166 of the Padres East Village Times podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, if you have not followed or subscribed to us on your preferred podcast platform or on YouTube, please make sure to do that. That way you don't miss any future episodes uh, on behalf of Sammy Bembo and James, who will be here for our next episode. We thank you all for tuning in. We hope to catch you next time.